You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Alyssa Friedland back on the show with me to talk about her brand new book, Last Summer at the Golden Hotel. What a fun great read uh this is uh Alyssa I didn't want to put the book down and I, I think that's you know the the highest compliment that you can pay an author is that you don't want to leave their story and you know things are warming up and uh the the world is looking a little better now and yeah I think this is a perfect book for for going into the spring and summer months thank you so much I agree there are a lot of distractions in the world. And so for an author to hear that somebody, a reader couldn't put their book down, it's really meaningful today because there's a lot of other exciting things to look at. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, um, Alyssa, I don't, I don't know if you've, um, if you've noticed or not, but, uh, you know, the last year or, or year and a half has been kind of crazy and, um, has, has been, uh, a trial for, for everyone that I've met. How have you, and your family uh, weathered the storm that we've been going through. Well, I guess I'll just explain. So I, I'm married and I have three children who are, when the pandemic hit, were in sixth grade, fourth grade, and first grade. And mm-hmm. I was also, I'm also a teacher, which I, I don't know if you knew. Um, I teach writing at Yale, which is also where I went. So I was in the middle of my semester when the pandemic hit. So as a teacher, I had to quickly shift to teaching on Zoom, which I thought was pretty difficult. And my kids also just, you know, it was a bit of a mess, you know, just, yeah. I mean, like, honestly, like every five minutes, it was like, the printer's not working, the Wi-Fi went out, I, I got kicked off the Zoom, and it was really chaotic. And then I would say it was mostly chaotic the entire year until like from March to June. And then we had like, a fairly decent summer. We were out on Long Island in our, we live in Manhattan, but we were out on Long Island in our summer house. And we were really lucky that we had a place to go. I mean, many did not and were, you know, stuck in Manhattan, which was like ground zero for infection, you know, and uh, we were very lucky. Although I did have COVID. Um, I got COVID really early on. So So did I. uh, So I was, yeah. So you know how fun that was. Yeah. Um, And I was like, pretty sick from March, April, and May. It took me a while to get better. But then I made a full recovery. And I would say our summer was like, okay, our summer felt sort of normal. I mean, our children didn't go to camp or anything, but they were home and they were, you know, they had a nice summer. And then we went back to school and going back to school was nothing like what they were used to. I mean, we were, we felt fortunate that they were able to go back. Not every school went back, but it was like hybrid schedule. Some of them only there two days a week, then somebody would get an infection or have an exposure and then they'd be home for two or three weeks, you know? So I would say chaos was the name of the game. And now things feel a little bit better. Like I I finally, I personally feel like I can breathe. 
now. Right. I'll tell you what, my uh, my oldest daughter got married uh, last summer, and if you think life is chaotic, try planning a wedding in the midst of a pandemic. That's that that is chaos like you've never seen before. Well, I I can tell you, um, well, congratulations. We planned. <laughs> I don't know if you know what this is, but we planned a bar mitzvah in yeah. the midst of the pandemic. My oldest child became a bar mitzvah during COVID. Nice. And congratulations. As you know, like planning any sort of celebration in COVID is like take a normal event that's complicated and multiply it by 20. And like certainly how I felt. So it sounds like we can relate on that. Yeah. Um, so your new book last summer at the Golden Hotel, um, you know, if we know anything about publishing, then this book has probably been off of your desk for for quite a while, you know, as as you go through edits and and then all of the the things that happen with publishing, um, where were you, like, where were you with this book when the pandemic hit? Was it completed and turned in? Were you still in edits? What was that process like of, of trying to get a book finished up and and out to the world? Mm-hmm. So, crazily enough, and I think it's because like I've blocked out some of the I can't completely remember but I think I was still working on edits yeah because I remember being really feeling stressed when the kids went into homeschool because the book wasn't done um I was still writing and then I think I turned it in sometime in June and I got it back in the summer and then by the fall you know we had like a final version and we moved to like a final copy edited version copy edited version probably by like November I would say of this year so definitely working and still writing during the pandemic in the beginning, but like already had a full complete first draft. So edits, but substantial edits. Gotcha. Um, I don't know that I realized that you taught uh, writing as maybe I did, but maybe I'd just forgotten. But um, as someone who teaches writing, you know, one of the uh, the great things about teaching something is that as a teacher, you learn more about the thing as you share it with others. Um, how do you feel like teaching uh, has affected your own creative process and uh, how has it maybe helped you grow as a writer by by teaching others the craft? I think I'm I'm definitely a stronger writer because I'm a writing teacher now. I started last year, so this is my second year teaching, and I do so much editing of my students' work that I can then, I'm just quick to pick up the same errors in my own work. And I teach them, I have lessons devoted to different aspects of writing, like pacing and character building and dialogue. And and when I read, we have, we have a writing textbook that I think is very good. and when I read it and reread it, I actually think I'm still absorbing lessons. And I, some things especially like come more easily to me than others. And so I've always been a natural at dialogue, but I struggle with other things. And teaching writing has helped me, especially with my deficits, I would say. And my students are really inspiring. And we read novels together as a class that I pick out as like really fine examples of great writing and there's like the books I choose I feel like I pick them very specifically like you know the three books we read this semester it's like one I feel like is a really great book 
book to teach like how to write multiple point of view. And another one is like a great way of how to, how to write humor. And so there's something, you know, to be learned from each of the books. And so just reading the books with my students and hearing the things they point out, I think it's like more than ever, I know how the sausage gets made because I'm like, I'm deconstructing the books that we read and I'm deconstructing their writing and showing them like, this is great, but like, maybe you should have opened with the supermarket scene. Like what, just because you thought of the supermarket scene first before the bedroom scene, doesn't mean that you you shouldn't reorder those, you know, or show them like these two scenes would actually, there's no reason to separate them. They would work very well combined. And they maybe will say to me like, but that's not what really happened. And I'm like, but that's fiction. This is not your real life. You don't have to tell it in the way it exactly happened to you. Like that's the fun of fiction. So I feel really good about my writing improving from teaching. It's not why I got into it, but it's a happy accident. Sure, sure. Um, Alyssa, we'd love to talk about, um, you know, the the debate between um, nature versus nurture, and especially when you're, you know, talking about people's personality and, and things like that, what, what makes a person the way they are. Um, but along those same lines, do you think that anyone um, – can write fiction can they can anyone be taught the craft or is it uh is is it a gene or or, or something like or are some people natural born storytellers or can everyone become a, a better storyteller at least um what do you think about that i definitely think everyone can become a better writer but i don't think everyone can achieve greatness I think that there's like some element of a natural gift that people are born with. I also think that there are some people who aren't necessarily that creative. So they're, even if they have tremendous facility with words, they will do a good job fictionalizing something that happened in their real lives. And you see this a lot with debut novelists and they write a fabulous book, but then once they've already mined that information and they have to come up with new content, then they really struggle with their sophomore novel. And I think that that's something I see where like there's a, an inherent limitation if you're not sort of born with a lot of natural creativity. And, but as far as like technical skill in writing, I mean, I definitely, definitely think people can get better a hundred percent. You can learn like to show, you know, we always talk about like show, don't tell, like don't tell me that you were super angry, like show me by throwing a glass against the wall, you know, like don't tell me that you're like using generic words like I'm so happy, like no, like bounce your heels up and down, you know, these are so much more effective and I teach my students to be as specific and as concrete as possible. So. And to notice things that make somebody come alive, like to say um, a woman has brown hair and blue eyes is like almost the way like my elementary school child would describe somebody, you know, but I teach my students like it's so much more interesting to see that like the person has uneven eyebrows and that they have like a scar on their nose that maybe was from like a nose ring they used to have. Like, give me the unique things like not that many people have a little scar on their nose that might be from a nose ring, but a hell of a lot of people have brown hair, you know? Right. So, and that I think is very easy to teach. 
So um, while not everyone necessarily is born to be uh, a John Grisham or uh, an Anne Rice or, uh, you know, anyone along that caliber of writer, um, do you feel like everyone could benefit from uh, learning to tell better stories? Do, do you think that having this skill set is a good thing for just most anyone to, uh, you, know, you know, to cultivate? I think I'm going to answer that in two parts. I think okay. that there are people who could benefit from becoming better storytellers, even better oral storytellers. I mean, we all have people in our lives where it's like pulling teeth and they're, they just don't even naturally know like the right details when they want to tell a funny story, but they're not picking the right details of what to share. And I kind of struggle with that a lot because I consider myself to be a good oral storyteller as well. So I think that that's something that is nice. Like, I, I feel like my husband is not necessarily like such a great storyteller, you know? So I get frustrated, you know, when I'm like, you've already repeated that detail or that's so irrelevant to the story or you're totally like, you're even your like enunciation, like you're not hitting the punchline hard enough. But I would say that as far as writing goes, even if you don't want to be a writer, I think just honing your writing skills, even if you don't want to be a professional writer, I think that this helps people in their day-to-day -day life. Even in writing emails, I see, and I feel sorry for the people who really do struggle this much, uh, just to write an email, that words don't come to them that quickly. And I think that I tell my students that even if they don't want to become professional writers, and many of them don't, they just wanted to try their hand at creative writing, that this class, being able to express your yourself clearly, concisely, with sharp, engaging language will help them. Even when they're writing an email to their boss, they're a doctor and they want to write an email to their supervising doctor about like something they saw with a patient. Like I, I truly think that being a better writer will helps a person in no matter what job they're in because we're even text, we're all texting, we're all writing emails all day long. And so the crispness that you bring and you to your writing that you'll learn in my class like, bring it to your text messages. Bring it to your emails. What Death Taught Taryn by Derek McFadden. Life is a journey. So is the afterlife. At the end of his life, Terrence McDonald must discover its meaning or he'll be banned from the afterlife forever and his soul will cease to exist. Join Terrence and those who love him on a poignant and unforgettable journey through a life at once wonderful and harrowing. Learn what Terrence learned. See what Terrence sees. By this provocative story's end, readers may even learn a thing or two about themselves. See why people are saying things like, Derek McFadden writes with an insight you can match. If you like the works of Mitch Album, I think you'll find what Death Taught Terrence a worthy addition to your library and the reading of it, a life-affirming journey. I found the story immediately immersive and it stuck with me long after I finished. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden, on sale now. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website your home on the web where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. 
PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new, easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting, and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Um, Alyssa, when when we first met, um, we talked about your book, The Intermission. Uh, the uh, the second time you were on the show, I believe your book, uh, Floating Feldman's, um, we talked about. And then today, your new book is Last Summer at the Golden Hotel. Looking back over your body of work and thinking about the way that stories sort of form in your mind and and that that beginning um i i love to hear about the beginnings of things and and how stories are born um how how would you describe um what an Alyssa friedland book is is about what what are some of the hallmarks of of the style of writing that you have um sort of the the niche that you've carved out for yourself well it's evolved I would say my The Floating Feldman's and The Last Summer at the Golden Hotel and then the book that I'm working on now, I've sort of found my voice and I found my niche, which is multiple point of view stories that have feelings that pull on your emotions, but that are also very funny. And I consider myself like good at writing the dramedy. And that's my voice. I think that I like write about the things that people think, but maybe don't say out loud. And I try to diffuse in my books, like when there's a tense situation, I use humor to diffuse it, which is what I do in my own life as well. (laughs) And I think that's, I would say that that's my sort of niche right now in writing. Gotcha. Well, along those lines, um, because you do, uh, you have really kind of nailed uh and and it's a hallmark of your work the the multiple viewpoints uh and and the the looking at the story from you know getting to to see the whole thing from this rotating cast of characters uh if you will um how does how does the story begin for you uh since they do kind of take on this form um a, a lot of times for people it'll be a particular character and a a voice uh that that's sort of speaks to them in in a in a weird way or a character that they 
you know, come to know and then, then the story forms around them. Or or some people think of a plot point and then, you know, start thinking of, you know, casting characters in their mind to, that might act out this and then see how that works. What is, how does it usually begin for you? Well, for the Golden Hotel, I had a strong feeling that I, I wanted to build on the floating Feldmans, which resonated with so many people. And I got really strong feedback. And so I said, I, I definitely want to stick with multiple point of view. I love writing multiple point of view and I love writing about family, but I want to take it a step further. I would say that was probably the biggest thing for me was wanting to challenge myself further, which is instead of writing about one family, I'm gonna write about two families. And then it enabled me not just to delve into family dynamics, but also into friendship dynamics. And by having two families co-own a business, it got into a lot of issues that I could not explore in the floating developments because they weren't relevant. So sort of the jealousy between two families that are you know, ostensibly like very close friends, but naturally, you know, their envy is a part of life. And maybe I think we all know couples where like the wives get along great, but the husbands don't or vice versa. And so I explore that. And I also like enabled me to have some romance in between the two families, which obviously I couldn't do when it was only one family. So now I have like different romances in the, you know, occurring between the two families in the different generations. And so it just, it gave me a lot more leeway with plot to be able to get into friendship issues and romance in a way that I was not as able to with the floating Feldman's, but I still stick to my like dramedy formula, multiple point of view formula, and like a lot of, you know, fun cultural humor that I have a good time with. This book, Last Summer at the Golden Hotel, um, really encompasses a uh, or it, it inhabits uh, this this interesting cultural phenomenon um, that uh, can be referred to as the Borscht Belt. Yeah. Um, what is the Borscht Belt, and and why is you know what was it about this this interesting place and in, and in time that that really um, I mean, even in, in popular culture media, we even if we're not from the part of the country uh, where this happened and, and where where you are close to, um, we've seen it in the the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, Dirty Dancing. Uh, it, any number of uh, uh, of stories have have taken place here, and and we may be um, you know remotely familiar with it, but but. Give us a little, it, like, how did this thing begin and, and what was it that was so enchanting? I mean, I, I love Dirty Dancing and I'm not alone. I <laughs> I mean, that's probably my favorite movie, but it's like me and everyone else. Like, it's many, many people's favorite movie. And I could just watch it over and over again. I mean, it captured such like a innocent, but you know, some non-innocent things also happen. Um, But it it just captured just a very specific moment in time and in history. And I think my mom grew up going to that region every single summer of her life. My dad went less often, but it was a part of it for him too. And then we, my parents took us, it was already on the decline, but my parents took me and my brother in the 80s when you could already start to see the hotels falling apart. And you know, I, I thought a lot about 
I thought a lot about that, I guess. You know, what's it like when something that was really so special and so unique just falls apart? And it doesn't even fall apart for bad reasons. Like, you understand that, you know, airfare is cheap and people can get to Iceland for the weekend now for $100, you know, a $100 ticket. So they're not restricted to only being, you know, driving to the Catskills on the weekends. And, you know, this was a time, I mean, the Catskills became this region that was populated by New Yorkers when they were trying to recover from tuberculosis, you know, at the turn of the century. And that's not an issue anymore. And, you know, there was also like, Jewish people were not always allowed into other hotels. And they there were definitely some hotels that had Gentile only rules. And so there were many reasons why the Borscht Belt had its place and was so enduring. But those reasons aren't there anymore. And I explore in the book, which is set in modern times, like, well, they're not there, but is there a reason to keep it going anyway? Um, nostalgia, culture, maybe we don't need to go to Iceland on the weekends. Maybe there's something to be said about everybody returning to this familiar place that really was a second home to so many people. And it's, it, it's almost a, um, uh, a forgotten um, time or, or way of life that it seems like people took extended vacations, um, yes. you know, there, which is just completely foreign from our modern way of thinking. Um, but life, you know, evolved. It, it was, it was a, it was a different way of living uh, that, that, you know, when you went to a place like this, you read a story about a place like this, it, it was almost like being transported to to an, an enchanting world in a way. I think so. I mean, people did. And that's the other thing with the way we all work now, although maybe things are changing after this year of COVID <laughs> right. or work from home model. But, you know, if you wind back the clock to 2019, I mean, people were logging like 14 hour days in the office and things were different then and we weren't always connected by smartphones so people would go away for four weeks at a time to you know the wealthier people went to the hotels the less wealthy people went to the bungalow colonies that they rented for the entire summer often it was the wife and children would spend the whole summer there the husband would get on route i can't even remember the route name route 17 maybe and, and drive for six hours up on a friday to join the family i mean now we live in a time when like most women work and men can't take off, you know, the last two weeks in August always or the entire month of August. And, you know, uh, we're expected to have a lot of con uh, connectivity. We can't just play 18 holes of golf or bridge all day. Uh, maybe we should return to that. But yes, I mean, the Catskills was definitely a place of leisure and we don't really have that anymore, sadly, in our lives. So understanding all of that about the the cultural phenomenon that that is the Catskills, uh, you know, in in this period of time, um, the the last summer at the Golden Hotel is is about one of these places and the families that own it, and and how it has changed through the years and what you know these families' connection still is to this place. Um, what. How did you come up with the idea for this? What, what was it? What was the 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 idea that you were wrestling with that that birthed this story? I you know I was at lunch with my agent and my editor, and we're trying to you know just 
think about building on on Feldman's and and thinking about wanting to write about a business. I think hospitality is a really interesting, um, like much like in Floating Feldman's where the cruise ship was like a character, the hotel is definitely a character in this book. And I when I read sure. some of the early reviews, people are like, the hotel was was a character in and of itself. And so to be able to write to to set a book in such a rich landscape is so exciting. So I love the idea of choosing a setting that's so rich with detail and so fun to bring to life that that in and of itself like makes the book worth writing. When when you're thinking about the families um, that own uh, this property and, and, and you know, we, we, we really get into the family drama of multi-generational family and they're all tied to this property and what that means to each of them and, and all of this. How did you start thinking about the families and what what their individual stakes would be in the story? It's so hard to answer that. I can't I wish I could remember I mean, I definitely knew that I wanted the two grandfather characters to have been the founders and then to get married once they already have the hotel and have, you know, these women that don't get along as well, because I think that was a nice conflict. And I, when you write, you look for areas of natural conflict because nobody wants to write about a bunch of people that all get along perfectly well. That's right. not, you know, that doesn't make for an interesting book. And so that was like a natural place of conflict. And then I just start thinking about their family trees and like, what would create conflict? Like, what would be the reason they feel jealous? And and what would make an interesting sibling relationship? And who could have a crush on who? Well, I need someone, you know, I want someone to be a girl and someone to be a boy. And then I think about their children. And, and if Amy's an only child, well, I want her to have a lot of children because she hated being an only, you know, and I want, I want these twins that want, they take totally different paths in life, because that's interesting when you grow up in the same house. And you you know, turn out so differently. So there's just like, I would say there's infinite, um, infinite ideas are going through my head. And then some of them just come back to me and they keep coming back to me as, uh, as worth pursuing. And that's sort of how my characters are. Like when I hit on an idea and I, it leaves me or I don't find myself constantly where returning to it, I realized that it's not one of my stronger ones. But when I have characters, like I could picture Louise, she's the sort of, you know, fancy public face of the hotel. And she sort of reminded me of Jenny Grossinger, who from Grossinger's Resort, which was one of the most famous resorts in the region. And she was the public face. I mean, that people went there to kiss her ring. And I wanted someone like that to be in the book. And so Louise was born. And and uh, I, I also then like you pick Thing, you pick character situations based on sometimes current events. Like I had just gotten so interested in reading about the OxyContin controversy and scandal with Purdue Pharmaceuticals. And I read a lot about it just because I found it personally interesting. And then I ended up writing a character who's one of these doctors that overwrites these Oxy scripts, you know? So it can be something in the news that pushes me to write about a certain character. And then, you know, with, I had a, a gay I have a gay character in the third generation and it was important to me to explore that because like that was like not a thing in the Catskills. Like I'm not saying people weren't gay, but they weren't out. And it was like the place to go and find a nice boy for your daughter and a nice, you know, girl for your son. You know, it was 
very traditional matchmaking matchmaking happening there. And so I wanted to turn that idea on its head. And so these are some of the ideas that floated around my mind and, you know, helped me create the characters that I did. I love it. Um, Alyssa, I know that you said that, you know, you and your personal life, uh, humor is very important to you. And it's it's how you navigate life in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I, I can completely relate to that. Um, but in your writing, um, what what role does humor play? Uh, because, you know, you can you can have very serious scenes uh, and a moment of levity uh, can do more to drive home the stakes of the uh, uh, of the serious scene by by giving the reader, uh, you know, a, an emotional break uh, of sorts. And, and it almost, um, you know, enhances the uh, the other emotions with humor. It, it's it's an interesting, um, you know, play that you can make with emotions that way. Uh, but do you think about humor in your writing or is this just a natural expression uh, that, that comes out or do you start looking for places that maybe, you know, you need to let the reader off the hook a little bit and, and that sort of thing? It's more, it more comes naturally. I would say it's an organic process. I don't really look at my pages and say, wow, this has been really, really, really heavy. Although I suppose if I have a very, serious chapter and two people are kind of having a reckoning with each other and it's pretty heavy. Yeah, I would then it, then I might think let me open the next chapter with something ridiculous, like something that is like a total break in the action. So, I guess I do I probably do it without even thinking about it. Um but it's like the way I think in my own life, you know, I just something heavy and then I don't put on a heavy TV show. If something heavy happened to me during the day, then I put on a light TV show and vice versa. If I had like a very light day, then I can handle something heavier at night to watch or to read. So I think this like ebb and flow is natural in my life and in my writing. Last Summer at the Golden Hotel is uh, is available everywhere today when you're hearing this. It's release day for the book. Congratulations on that, Alyssa. Um, we're going to put links to it in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for folks to find if they want to order it online in Kindle edition or if they want to hold the paper in their hands. Um, also, it's uh, available in audio book today. How do you feel about your, your work being translated to audio? Well, I got very lucky because Julia Whalen is the audio narrator and she's like probably the most famous working audio narrator. Oh, she's today. fantastic. She's amazing. I've listened to many books and I asked my publisher if she would, if they would ask her, and they did. And she was available, which was amazing. And I have not heard it yet. I cannot wait to hear it. But she takes her job like really, really, really seriously. I mean, in the sense that, you know, I've never, I've had, this is my fourth novel. They've all been in audio format. And I've never had an audio narrator send me an email with so many specific questions to make sure that she nailed <laughs> everybody's voice perfectly, correctly, and down to like a waiter who comes in and has one line, but I, I mentioned he's from a certain place and then she wants to, you know, absolutely have his accent accurate. And she's very, she's a master of her craft. And I think that with this big cast of characters and her amazing voice, like the audio experience is gonna be incredible. It's probably the thing I'm like the most excited about for, um, to listen to. Well, speaking of Julia Whalen, um, I have I have bought audiobooks 
that I was not familiar with the author, but because she narrated it, I, I knew that it was going to be a safe purchase. Uh, so that I'm excited to listen to the audio for that, for sure. Yeah, no, 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 no. She's, she's amazing. Yeah. Well, we'll put links to that in the show notes as well if you want to grab the audio. Um, Alyssa, thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show today, and congratulations on Book Launch Day. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's an exciting day. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.